scripture to speak and we don't try to speak into it our thoughts or our ideas uh, but help us God to just um, uh, surrender your truth before we read it and to understand it in a way that changes our lives uh, mm-hmm. so God open our hearts open our minds as we walk through your scriptures we ask it in Jesus name Amen. 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 all right we are in Luke I know you're shocked <laughs> we're working our way through Luke remember what happened last time anybody remember yeah, Jesus read from Isaiah in the synagogue, and they tried to throw him off the cliff, and um, he uh, basically just didn't allow it, which I think is, I sort of want to go back and touch that a little bit, because I think um, uh, it's interesting, just that last verse in 29, they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built. We talked about how that's how they stoned people so that they could throw them down the cliff. So the whole town has dragged him out there. Okay, this is kind of weird. They, it says they rose up and drove him out of town. And it's almost like he just like turned around and left and said, I dare you to touch me. I mean, the next verse is, but passing through their midst, he went away. And it's interesting because they had asked for a miracle, essentially, and he just gave them one. I mean... He was literally untouchable. And if you look at, um, uh, I like the way the uh, other Bibles translate it, because they say, in passing through their midst, he went his way, which mm-hmm. basically summarizes his ministry in a lot of ways. So now you're Luke, okay? You've just introduced Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. What do you think he would talk about next? What would you start doing? I mean, how would you introduce this man to the world? Uh, he's claimed to be the Messiah. Just did. Almost got stoned for it. What do you write about? You get the whole story of Jesus. You got his birth, his resurrection. You can write about anything you want. What would you write about if you were Luke? What, what do you think would be the most important thing for people to know? proof of what he said was true. Okay. And, and that is exactly where we're headed. Because what's happening here is Luke is basically going to address the issue of every false Messiah that's ever come. So people a lot of times will say, well, what was so unusual about Jesus? I mean, there are a lot of false Messiahs. There are a lot of people out there claiming to be the Messiah. There are a lot of people who knew scripture, who claimed to be the Messiah. There's a lot of crazy people today who claim to be the Messiah. Um, what separated this man from every other man that's ever walked on the planet? And the answer is, he did things only God could do. Um, and they couldn't deny it, right? I mean, it's amazing when you think about it. it. It wasn't that they, you know, basically argued about, did he do the miracle or not? He did the miracles. There wasn't any doubt about it. The guy's up walking or the blind man seeing or whatever. The question was, where did he get the power and what power does he have? So what we're going to see, Luke is going to take us through, in many ways, the powers of Jesus in this book. Okay, He's going to show us that this man had power over demons. He has power over illnesses. He has power over death. He has power over nature. He has power. He does things only God can do. And to Luke, that is more important than any teaching whatever that he does. The the Jewish guys that wrote Gospels, they focused a lot on his teaching. 
and Luke does too, but what Luke mainly wants his audience to see is this guy was Jewish. He was the Jewish Messiah. He came for the whole world, but what made him so special was he did what only God could do. Um, and just to sort of throw, throw you some information, um, if you read in the Bible that somebody had an illness from birth, okay, blind since birth, what, what do you think that means? His eyes didn't develop right in the womb. Okay. Basically, the Jewish thought in the first century would have been that child is cursed by God. Okay. If somebody had a physical deformity that from birth, then that was God's judgment on that person, on the parents, on the family, on somebody. Therefore, no one could heal those types of problems except God himself. Mm, okay. So when you see somebody say this person was blind from birth and Jesus put mud on his eyes or whatever it is, he's making a deity claim. Okay. And so when you see there that way since birth, their thought was that child is cursed. It'll be that way forever. It'll never change. Uh, so when somebody comes, the only person that can fix that is, is God himself. Okay. So the first thing that, um, um, Luke wants us to know is that he leaves he leaves Nazareth, right? He's now going to pick a new hometown. And it says in, in verse 31, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. Now, Capernaum is a seaside city. It's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. So if you're looking at Galilee as a clock, it's about noon. Um, it is still there today. You can walk around it. A lot of the ruins are still there. Uh Peter's mother-in-law's house is still there. The synagogue is still, I mean, there's a lot still there. Um, and um, he says he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. Now, Nazareth is up in the hills. So he's going down as literally a, um, a physical location change. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Okay. Same thing that he did in Nazareth, right? What did he do when he went to Nazareth? Started teaching on the Sabbath, right? Walked into church. They said, you, rabbi, teach. So he did, okay? So he starts teaching them on the Sabbath. And it sounds like he'd done it several weeks in a row, okay? Not just once, but several times in a row. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. What, what do you think was different about the way he taught? I think he was the Holy Spirit declared from God things for him to say. Okay. If somebody teaches with authority, does that mean they shout and yell and pound and scream and holler? What, what does it mean to teach you know with authority? About. What does it mean to it's teach? Knowledge. Huh? Knowledge. Knowledge? Okay. Yeah. It's basically a knowledge issue. It's But a lot of people can know knowledge and not have authority. So let me give you an example. Suppose I am the... <laughs> Uh, number one fan of the Beatles fan club, right? And I know everything about the Beatles. I've studied it my whole life. I've done everything you could ever do, right? And I meet a lady and I start telling her all about the Beatles, all the information I have, right? Imagine this is years ago. And I begin telling her all this stuff. I've got all this information, right? But I'm not teaching with authority, when she looks at me and says, I'm Linda McCartney, she teaches with authority. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so there's a difference in the way people, not the information, not what they know, not how much they know, 
but their personal encounter, personal experience with God, with that process. So he's not only he's not only teaching them what the scripture said, he's clearly doing that. But as he does it, they're beginning to realize he's on a very intimate, powerful basis with God himself, if not being God himself. Okay, so he's the only person that can teach with the first person pronoun. That's correct. And, and he's got all the backstory. He's got all the backstory. He knows the deals. He understands it all. He, but it's important to realize that they're stunned because usually the rabbis teach rules and um, teach um, things like uh, you know how to obey God, how to how to find your salvation through your efforts, all that kind of stuff. Jesus taught more from what this is the heart of God. I want you to know the heart. If you look at his red letters, it's he teaches about God's heart um, and his love for us. And so the rabbis at that time often would teach about man's, excuse me, man's failures, God's judgment, their punishment, um, how they don't live up to the law. And then Jesus comes along and he's teaching love, surrender, forgiveness, and it's a totally different thing. And he's teaching with authority. In other words, if you wanted to challenge him, you could, but you'd probably get slapped down pretty quick intellectually. Um, and he's not arrogant about it. He's just teaching truth. And somehow he knows the truth better than anybody we've ever heard before. Okay, so they're astonished at his teaching. His word possesses authority. Okay, now in the synagogue, okay, so he's in the synagogue. And we know that he goes around the Sabbath. There was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. Okay. So guess what we're going to talk about tonight? Demons. So man with the spirit of an unclean demon. Okay. Where is this spirit located? Your soul. In the synagogue. In the synagogue, right. Yeah. Right? Where do you expect to find unclean spirits? Well, you think you would, you think you would find them in hell or in you know bad places, Las Vegas, whatever. But the reality is, what's what's the job of a demon? To attack and try to bring down believers. So where do you expect to find demons? In the church. Okay, why are we always shocked? I mean, every time I teach on demons, I'm like, look, guys, they're here. It's not like we weren't told to put on the armor of God and go Halloween trick-or-treating. I mean... We're to put on the armor of God because demons are real and they're here and they attack. And and we should expect people who are influenced by the demonic to come to our church and try to destroy it. I mean, the scriptures are very clear about that. Yeah, but most, <laughs> most, uh, most believers have a hard time dealing with that reality. That just the idea that Wait a minute. Somebody could be sent to our church to destroy our church. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And then we ask, well, what do they look like? Well, they look like us. They're not going to pound on the door and go, hey, I'm here. I'm the demonic guy that you've been warned about. I'm going to bring your church down through gossip and lies and slander and all that kind of stuff. I'm just going to destroy the church. I'll be over here. I'll be serving in children's ministry. You just leave me alone. I'll do my thing. I'll get up to go tithe, and then I'm no, I'm attacking the church. Uh, they don't do that. Uh, remember that um, when you look at the Judas and the disciples, 
Not one of them thought he was the betrayer. Mm-hmm. When Jesus says, one of you has betrayed me, not one of them said, it's Judas. I knew it. It's Judas. He looked just like them. They had no idea. Okay. So as elders and pastors, you're always on, on guard to watch the flock for protection. Yeah. Did Judas know? Judas? Judas knew he wasn't a believer. Uh, I have no doubt about that. Um, I, I, I think... I just wondered if, if he knew or, or if, if later, because of the things he did, the Spirit well, entered into him and used him. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people think that he, you know, he was repentant when he um, uh, killed himself, but he was more, I think, repentant about the fact that it didn't really work. Um, but, I mean, clearly... People who aren't spirit-filled usually feel it when they're around spirit-filled people, particularly if they, they're they there to destroy it. I mean, it's one of those things. So there's a man here who has a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cries out in a loud voice, okay? So if you're reading this at home and you were just reading it, you'd be screaming the next few words. I won't do it because I'll spare you. But he's crying out in a loud voice. Now, you got to understand, he's a demon, he's at church, okay? He's going to be disruptive. That's what they do. Um, I'll give you an example. When I was a pastor at South Shore, um, we had a Saturday night service, and there was a guy on the streets that I've been ministering to for five years. Um, and I kept telling him, you should come to church. You should come to church. Come to church. And he goes, if I came to church, the walls would fall down, you know? And he was well known as a, mega thug, um, you know, in and out of jail all the time, uh, probably a gang leader. He was just a really, like, rugged guy. But I just kept, you know, hey, how's it going, you know, blah, blah, blah. So one day I get text that he's in church. He actually came on a Saturday night. And uh, I thought, well, that's, that's amazing. The walls didn't fall down. <laughs> they start singing the first worship song. And he starts screaming. I mean, screaming, pulling his clothes, banging his head on the floor. He ends up crawling under the seats. Um, uh, he's, he sat near the front row, but he starts crawling under the seats, and you can see people popping up as he's going <laughs> under him. And it's in the middle of the worship set. The worship team is standing there going. And he's literally screaming that demons are attacking him. Okay, so what I did is I just... Followed him. I went right under the seats. I crawl down. I get, you know, I get to him and I hold on to him, and I tell him, "It's Frank. You can, you're okay. You know, blah blah blah." And he's screaming, "They're going to kill me! They're going to kill me!" He's literally having this like whole thing. And so I told him, I said, "They can't hurt you here." Um, and I, I said, "In the power and name of Jesus Christ, leave this man alone." And he just collapsed. He just went, and he kind of looked around. And he's like, are they here? And I said, I don't think so. And so he uh, helped him. What happened was by now the security team's freaking out because somebody looked under there and thought I was being attacked by this guy under this, you know, whatever. So I feel people starting, this is pretty funny. I feel people starting to pull on my feet to try to get me out from under. It was so funny. And so he, I looked at us and I think they want us to sit up and uh, he's like, yeah. And uh, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I've got to go up there and teach. And I said, I need you to sit here on the front row and just listen to what I have to say. Um, can you do that? Yeah, yeah. 
And of course, we had a safety team. They're all freaking out about, you know, he, he needs to leave. He's got to do whatever. No, he's fine. Um, and uh, so after the service, uh, I met with him quite a bit later uh, after the service. Um, and there's no doubt, he said when he walked in the room, he could feel the demonic things going on inside of him. He was literally being attacked. Um, and, um, you know, we had people that said, well, he should never be able to come back in church again. He was disruptive. Um, he was whatever. And my point is, is that demonic stuff happens and it happens a lot more than we realize. And it happens a lot more than people want to acknowledge it in the U S it's more subtle because we're more sophisticated. So the demonic attacks typically are a little more, a little less obvious. Um, but they're just as real. And so one of the questions that comes up a lot is, you know, how does this demon thing work with Christians? Okay. So people will may ask, you know, can a Christian be demon possessed? Let's start there. Possessed? Mm-hmm. Possessed. Wow. Absolutely. Possessed? possessed? I don't think no. so. We'll define possessed. I love this. I don't there we go. Define yes. possessed. It means to be under the control of. Yes. Yes. The, the, okay, now the question is, can you be can you be um, possessed or oppressed? And what's the difference? Okay. You can be oppressed. So here's here's basically the way that uh, I think scripture is very clear. Uh, somebody who has been born again and received the Holy Spirit will never cohabitate with Satan. Right. Okay. okay. So if you're a true believer with the Spirit of God in you, you can't be possessed right. by Satan. Because the Spirit won't allow anybody else. In fact, remember the scriptures that say, um, he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world, right? So Christians cannot be possessed by demons, okay? Now, people who aren't Christians can be possessed by demons, and people who you thought were Christians can be possessed by demons. Now, many Christians can be oppressed by demons, okay? And I believe that happens to all of us, where Satan said, I'm going to attack you. Here's, here it comes. And so we can be oppressed, and that's why we're told to wear the armor of God. Okay? But notice that the armor of God is given to believers. And what does the armor of God not tell you to do? Take it off. Cast out the demon. I mean, you would think if you had the armor of God on, the first thing he'd say is just cast out the demon. Well, we're not told that. Because we're not possessed by demons. We're influenced by them. So this demon is in this man, and we don't know much about him. He's just a man. But we're told he has the spirit of an unclean demon. Okay? Is there such a thing as a clean demon? Demon? Yeah. Clean demon? Yep. Kind of. Kind of fix it. Yeah, I'm pretty sad about that. Okay. And I agree with you, but the scriptures talk all the time about unclean demons. I've never been able to find the antithesis of that. Okay, in other words, I think they're just using the word to validate that he's not good, but uh, you can't be a clean demon either. So um, I don't know how you become an unclean demon. Anyway, he cries out with a loud voice, Hi, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. Okay, now, who's the smartest person in the room? You. 
Not this room. Who's the smartest person in this room? Jesus. Who's second? Satan. Satan knows who Jesus is. Accurately, correctly, without denial, he proclaims Jesus is God. You are the Holy One of God. He also understands the mission of Jesus. You are here to destroy us. Right? So, um, he says, you know, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? So just on the chance that there's other Jesuses in the room, he's very, very clear who he's talking to. Okay? So the demon knows immediately who he is. Okay, now, um, how do you feel about that? I mean, I guess what I what I'm thinking is, you know, here you have this church, synagogue, Jewish people. Their Messiah walks in the room. They're astonished at his teaching. They're astonished at his authority. Uh, we don't hear that they, you know, have declared him God. Yet this demonic guy's there, screaming and yelling and hollering, and he happens to be hollering truth. He is speaking truth. Right, this is who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is um, uh, here to destroy them, and um, so he has understood what most people in the room have not yet understood. Okay, and it's important to know that the one thing that's clear to demons, demonic influenced people, and the demonic is that Jesus is Lord. And our enemy knows that. Okay, now here's a man in the synagogue proclaiming who Jesus is, why is he not saved? Why is he not saved? Yeah, he basically says, I know who you are. You're Jesus, the son of Nazareth. You're, you know. Well, the man likely has not repented. Okay. And the, the man is, he has a demon in him. Okay. And, and so he, he's stuck. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's very much so. Well, that was still at a time where you, they were being saved by works. Okay. Work. Yeah, that's true too. Okay, now. Um, Don't know what sin he's stuck in, but he's stuck. Okay, so here's a man who's influenced by a demon, all right? In fact, has the spirit of a demon. I mean, at that point, how to, you know, if you had a demon, would you even know? Or, yeah, you wouldn't know how to well, get rid of it. Well, it brings up an interesting question. Okay, so um, when we are all born, what are we? Babies. Babies, yes. So far. Sinners. Keep going. What else are we? Unsaved. Unsaved. What else? Who are we following? Our own. Satan. We are born of Satan. We have a flesh nature. You know, Christians or people who don't know Jesus Christ are following Satan. Okay, we tend to think that Satan followers wear horns and red and sacrifice animals and burn things. Okay, and there are some that do that. There are some who do that, but there are many, many Satan followers who have families, who have a moral code, who um, would argue they don't even know they're following Satan. But we all realize that once we came to know Jesus, that there's a time in our life. 
when we are children of Satan. We are literally part of Satan's family, and our purpose here is against the things of God. Okay, Now, we in general, in our fallen state, are not a lot different from this man. Okay, People who don't know Jesus have no power to overcome the demonic things they think of. Um, they may be able to follow a moral code. They may be able to have self-restraint, but the reality is with, without the overwhelming influence of the Spirit of God, all of us are pretty carnal. Okay, so if you think about it, he's not that different than anybody else who walks into a church today who isn't a believer. Okay, now, suppose that somebody who's not a believer comes into our church and listens to me preach for a while, and they say, you know what? Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Son. I mean, he's, I get it. I, I understand who he is, Okay. Um, and they may spend 30 years in the church going, I must be saved because I understand who he is. Okay. They're no different than this guy. Okay. They've come into the church. They have a sin nature. They've never really dealt with their sin nature. They've come to an intellectual understanding of who Jesus is. In fact, they may proclaim it in the church. He's the child, the son of the living God. Okay. But that's not what saves you. Okay. And this is really critical to understand. What saves us? Accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior. Yeah. I mean, step one is knowing without a doubt that you're a sinful person who deserves the punishment of hell. And you need to be delivered from that. Okay. You can't become a believer without a moment of repentance. Very hard to become a believer without brokenness, without shame, without um, um, a sense of having failed. Um you know, you can't be saved if you don't know you need to be saved. And so when people tell me they're a follower of Christ, I often will ask them, uh, tell me about your when you repented. Tell me about that day. What happened? When did you realize? What was the purpose of that? And because here's the problem, particularly in the Western church, many people come to church for years and years and years and years and have never been broken about their sin. And as a result, they are intellectual Christians who are not saved. And you want, want to know what keeps pastors up at night? That's it. That people could sit under your teaching for year after year after year, intellectually connect with everything that you're talking about, and never personally connect their heart with Jesus. Okay, so it's important, particularly like the way I teach, because I tend to teach with a lot of information. So I, people that are information junkies tend to like to listen to me teach. Well, that makes me nervous because... Jesus even says, you think you'll find me in the scripture. You won't. You're going to find me in when your heart searches for a savior. Uh, so it's important to understand that, yeah, this guy's in the synagogue. That's where they go. Uh, he knows who Jesus is. He knows the mission of Jesus. Uh, and Jesus tells him, what do you think Jesus would tell him? I mean, just he's been trying to prove he's God. Why would he, why not just say, yeah, you're right. I am. Look at this guys. The demons know who I am. Why did he not do that? It's not time for him to reveal who he is. Yeah. Okay. Isn't he in the synagogue teaching with authority and uh, about to do something relatively he, he, miraculous? He's not, he's not going to give any place to any part of what Satan has. Exactly. People can sing his praises, but not, not non-believers. In other words, I'm not going to let Satan sing my praises. I don't care what happens. Okay. Now, if my people want to sing my praises, that's called worship. This is not worship. Okay, this is an I've accurate. Look at that question. This is a battle cry. Are you cry. here to destroy us? 
Right. And, and what was the inflection of that question? Yep. Was there still defiance? Of course. Here? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Okay. Have you come to destroy us? Okay. Now, how did he ask that question? I've often pondered that. Yeah. Well, it says, uh, I, the way I would say it is, it says he cried out in a loud voice. Mm -hmm. And that tells you two things. Um, and this is something else to think about. Um, Jesus carried with him something the world had not seen before. Do you know what it, what it was? When he walked into that synagogue, what changed? God himself, the presence of God. He had the power of God, the Holy Spirit. They hadn't had that. Okay, People had it once in a while. John had it. I mean, but what happened to this demonic guy is the presence of God walked into the room. Okay. I mean, don't miss what's happening spiritually here. This it's very likely this demonic person has been to the synagogue several times. Working behind the scenes. Working behind the scenes. And one day, literally, the Spirit of God walks in. God himself walks yeah. in the room. Okay. With no one else recognizing him. No. Well, I mean, yeah, they didn't. But the demonic did. I mean, I mean one but thing the rest you know, of the people of the church didn't. The one thing you know, well, they're still trying to figure out who he is. He teaches with authority. This demon's like, spiritually, something really bad just happened. Okay. They were amazed at his teaching, mm -hmm. but the demon recognized his person and his presence. Yes, which is where the power is. Okay, the power of Jesus is not in his teaching; it's his presence. Okay, because if you look at the teaching, a lot of people say, "Well, Jesus was a great teacher. He was a good prophet. He was a nice man. He was a moral man, or whatever." That's not what he claimed. It's his presence that has the power. So his presence walks into this synagogue and the demonic guy, it says, cried out with a loud voice. Okay, uh, That cried out is the same word that would be used for um, essentially I'm being stabbed. Okay, It's not so like a, are. it's not like a, are you not the Christ? Are you the Christ, the son of the living God? He's literally freaking out, um, probably crawling under the benches like <laughs> my guy did. Um <laughs> And it, Jesus rebuked him. What does a rebuke mean? Put him in his place. Shuts him down. What I think of in this is um, something I say, used to say often. I don't go to every argument I'm invited to. And right. That's what Jesus, by rebuking him, then put him in his place. Mm -hmm. Not He wasn't engaging in, he was going to have a conversation with this demon. Okay. What word is before rebuke? Jesus, but and before Jesus that, but why is a but there? Because the whole narrative changed at that point. Yeah, but basically means what you don't expect to happen is about to happen. Okay, if you think what you expect to happen is going to happen, they use and and this happened, right? But when they put a but in the middle of it, that means that tells you that whatever happened before. Whatever you think is going to happen, didn't. Okay, so what Luke's saying is, you would expect him to go. Uh, if you come to, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, and you would expect Jesus to go, "Yep, that's who I am." All right, but he doesn't do that. Okay. Now the other thing that's interesting here is, who does this demon claim to belong to? What group? He says each other. Yeah, he says us. 
what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Okay, Nazareth, okay. What, what he's saying is... There's more than one of us in here. Or, or I'm part of a bigger group, okay. Uh, you know, it's funny how, you know, you, every time you hear a demon speak in Scripture, it's a lie. You just don't know how big a lie. So, for instance, when the demon says, well, my name is Legion, because there's many of us. There probably wasn't anybody else there. Um, they're just liars. Um, and so we get here, and, we, and so Jesus rebuked him, okay? Now, here's the other thing. Think about this guy prior to this moment. Okay, so imagine, you're, imagine we're in church, right? We can do that. And we have a service, and we're going along doing our thing, and then somebody cries out from the back corner. Uh, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I know who you are. What, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Okay? Most people wouldn't have known at this point, oh, that's the demon guy. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. He's a guy. He's just a guy who happens to now be in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and now he has to reveal himself. Mm -hmm. What he's declaring here is not only who Jesus is, but who he is. Yeah. Right? So now everybody in the room knows this is not good. The guy serving in children's ministry is now about to be slapped down by Jesus. So that's not good, right? So you have to look at this and go, okay. Now, Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Okay. Um, at what point do you think the crowd realized that what was happening here was demonic? Probably at that point. Okay, surely by that point, I would think you just cast him out. Do you think they recognized it before? No, probably not. Because they were probably like, seven. Probably, probably would have thought that. <laughs> they probably would have thought that when he spoke Calm before down. that happened, that he's speaking for all of them. Yep. Okay. Yep. And um, yeah, so he declares who he is. Okay, and it says, "Be silent and come out of him." Okay, now. Has this demon ever spoke again? Well, Probably not. Jesus said, be yeah. silent. There wasn't right. any category. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what happened to this demon. Now, we do know that some <clears throat> demons were cast into pigs. Some demons were to do whatever. This demon in particular, it says, uh, be silent, come out of it. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, okay? Think about that for a minute, okay? The demon... Threw this man down on the floor. He probably collapsed. It's not what scriptures say. Demon threw him down. He looked like he collapsed. But the demons threw him down. All right? Do you think that's weird? I think everything in scripture is weird. They threw him down. Well, it's like, I can't use you anymore. Well, I couldn't see him gently putting him down as they left. I couldn't see that. Why would they care? What you're saying is it's more than a soccer flop. Yeah, and it's more than just, I mean, more likely it was like a seizure, I would guess. He threw him down. The point I want to make is, even when Jesus said, be silent and come out of him, the demon still was rebellious. Oh, yeah. Or used the body. Okay, so he didn't say anything, but he threw him down. Okay. Um, I meant the mouth and, um, but the truth is, is that when the light came into the room, the darkness could do nothing to stop it. Yes. And uh, it's a good thing to be thrown down by Satan, uh, if you look at it that way. Um, 
So the demon had thrown him down their midst. He came out of him, having done him no harm. Wow. Okay. So not only did he throw him down, he can't hurt him. Okay. So, um, and they were all amazed. Okay. So now we're talking about the audience. And said to one another, what is this word? Okay. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went to every place in the surrounding region. Okay. Now, uh, Luke begins by showing us that one of the powers Jesus has is the power over the demonic world. Okay. Now, we tend to look at the demonic world and we think, um, you know, some people tell you, well, there's this cosmic battle going on between God and Satan. No, there's not. There's a route that's already happened between God and Satan, and we're just cleaning up the mess afterwards right now. Um, and I think we give a lot of we give a lot of influence and power to demons in our lives when we've already conquered them. Um, I look at them like little rugrats. They go around sort of nipping at you and bothering you, but they can't touch you. They can't do anything to you. You get the power of God. You get the power of the armor of God. Uh, for a believer to be dramatically influenced by the demonic, they are not living or doing what the word of God commands them to do. We aren't here to spend our lives fearful of demons and going around being chased all day to prove that we're spiritual. Okay. We're here to recognize demons when they occur. So for instance, one of the spiritual gifts is the gift of discernment of spirits. Okay. What is the gift of discernment of spirits? You can feel it in your spirit somebody has something okay. in it. Yeah, there are times. It, and they feel it too. And this is a spiritual gift. Okay, it's not something that every believer has, but it is a gift God gives certain believers for certain moments at certain times. Okay. I believe it's a gift he gives a lot of pastors. Um, because there have been times in my ministry when somebody has said something and they look like they're following God and they look like they're doing everything right and they're do and in my spirit I'm like, no. This is not of God. I don't know why, but this is not of God. Um, we had it happen at a, the other church I used to be a pastor of where a youth minister came in and um, um, was not good from the beginning. And I knew it in my heart. I could just feel it. It was just like, and so the, the gift of discernment is not like, you know, like I have the gift of discernment and I think you're bad. That's not what it is. Okay. Gift of discernment is very specific. If you read it, it says the gift of discerning the spirits. You can see when God is doing things, when he's not doing things, what is uh, uh, Satan and what's not. So what else is happening here that's going to be a pattern that we see uh, about this particular healing? Well, Jesus said that he sent the disciples out to do that. Okay. The people that witness this are both amazed and recognizing that there's something going on here that they have never seen before. Okay, that's true. Yep. They're, they're reckon, I mean, basically they are experiencing for the first time in a very long time on earth the clash between the Spirit of God and the evil forces. They're watching a spiritual battle happen. Okay. But this is written by a Gentile. Right, we talked about how uh, Luke is the only Gentile that wrote one of the Gospels. So this is written by a Gentile. 
Had this been written by a Jew, do you think there'd be something else mentioned here that's not mentioned? Another point of view. Maybe a point of view, but I'm looking more for a specific thing. That the person... What day is it? The Sabbath day. What is Jesus doing? Working. Healing Fasting. on the Sabbath. Okay. Had a Jewish person written this, it would have been all about the Sabbath. Okay. It would have been, hey, Jesus is here. He's in the synagogue. He heals a guy on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are freaking out. He's not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. Blah, blah, blah. But Luke's not a, a Jew. And so it's a lesser point for him. But it, Jesus is still doing the pattern that we see over and over and over, right? In fact, they come after him for that. They do. And in this case, it's not mentioned. So here it says, and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Okay? So what do you think the report was? <laughs> he healed on the Sabbath. Negativity. That's one of it. Yeah, he well, healed he on the Sabbath. What else? He has power over the demonic. Okay. How are the Pharisees going to answer this? Yeah, they're basically saying, well, you have power over the demonic because you're demonic. Yeah. Okay, that's where Jesus does his house divided speech, right? Yeah. So it's important for us to realize that um, Jesus didn't have to run around and do anything. He didn't have to, you know, he just spoke, be silent and come out of him. Where does this demon go? We don't know. Out of him, right? Uh, and Jesus said, be silent. Now we will see throughout scripture, anytime a demonic person proclaims Jesus's fame, he shuts him down. He does not seek the praise of the demonic. Now, that brings us to the question that I want to talk a little bit about today. Um, does this still happen? Yeah. And where do we see it? In the cafe. <laughs> but actually, it's true. And, and my next question is, is and how do we fight against that? Okay. You know, I, I, I slightly disagree with that. Okay. I, I think it's, yeah, we would expect to have it in the cafe, but I, I think it's more sometimes people that are there to donate their time in the cafe. Of course, it's everywhere. I mean, the whole point is anybody who well, I, anybody who yeah, doesn't right. know Jesus Christ as their Savior is in a demonic state. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> and, you know, we tend to think of the demonic extremes, but the reality is that's what Satan wants us to think. He doesn't want us to think that the person that lives across from us that brings us brownies at Christmas or whatever and, and happens to attend the, the Buddhist temple is following demons, but they are. Um, and so, you know, we talked about being demon-possessed or oppressed. Somebody go to um, Matthew 17, 14. Fourteen through eighteen. Whoever has it. When the 
And they came up to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Okay. So that is a classic case of somebody being demonically possessed. Okay. The demon has total control over this child. Okay. Not influenced, possessed. Okay. I can't help what I'm doing. The demons are doing it. Okay. Uh, we have a guy uh, in our church um, about, um, about two months ago, I guess, kept calling out during the sermon. And if you remember, I turned to him and said, you know, I'm having a hard time concentrating. Stop. Um, and uh, I knew that what he was hearing was demonic voices. He, he struggles with that. Um, and he, he tries to voice it so he can help deal with it. Um, but the demonic is all over the place. Now, that doesn't mean that every time something happens, it's a demon. Okay? Sometimes we're just stupid all by ourselves. Um, but Seriously. the demonic um, is something that I think is, is very uh, present. That's a, an example of somebody possessed by a demon. Somebody go to Luke 8, 27. Luke 8, 27 through 33. Anybody? And when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, and who had not put on any clothing for a long time, and was not living in a house, but in the tombs. Okay, so here we have another man that we're told is actually possessed by the demons, right? Okay, now I mentioned before that when we're dealing with spiritual warfare, uh, that we are um, never told to cast out demons right um of ourselves so it's not like okay you find yourself in a spiritual battle cast the demon out of you no it's not in the scripture okay believers are told to handle things differently so somebody james 4 7 somebody else go to 1 peter 5 verse 8 so james 4 7 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay. So believers are told to resist the devil. Okay. We're not told to conquer the devil. We're not told to overcome the devil. We're not told to pick a fight with the devil. We're not told to um, become super devil killers. Right. We are told to resist the devil. Okay. What does resist the devil mean? Don't fall for his temptation. Okay, and how do we resist the devil? Lead a pure life and be in the role of God. Okay, we resist the devil by using the truth of the word of God. Okay, remember the armor of God? Okay, what's the only weapon in the armor of God? The sword. The 
Right. Okay. And we have we, we can fight off with our thing. We have a head to protect our helmet of salvation. But the point is, is that we do uh, when we're dealing with demonic activities or demonic things, we do what God tells us to do. Okay. Now, Jesus at one point will very specifically tell his disciples to go out and cast out demons. And they'll come back and go, wow, even demons respond to whatever. Okay. Believers, if you look at the scripture, there's not a big scripture about, hey, go out and here's how you cast out demons. Okay. We're told to resist them. Okay. That tells you several things. One, they're coming after you. Right. You don't have to resist something that's not in your face. Okay, so number one is recognizing that the believers are going to have moments where Satan is going to attack. Okay, um, and uh, one Peter five eight. And nine. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Okay. So believers are told to resist the devil, not to cast him out. Okay. I think that's really important because there are a lot of ministries around um, where everything that happens, you just cast the demon out. You know, if you overcook the food, you made a mistake, cast the demon out. Um, and... <laughs> I think several things are important. Are people demonically possessed? Yes. Are believers demonically possessed? No. Do you need to cast out demons out of believers? No. What you need to do is help them resist the devil. And what's the, what's the power of, how do we have power to resist the devil? What, what are we told in that verse? Draw near to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee. Is the devil fleeing because you're so wonderful? No. 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 What, what's the devil fleeing? Because you call the word Because he sees Jesus right behind you. Yeah. Okay. It's like having big brother behind you. Draw near to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee. What do you think happens if you don't draw near to the Lord? Resist the devil and you're toast. Okay. Now, at the point where we think we can handle it, we are defeated. Yes. And I think it's important to understand that as a believer, you can be influenced by Satan. You can be taken down a really dark path by Satan. You can be deep in sin. Uh, in fact, there are many things we do that open us up to potential attacks by Satan, unconfessed, unrepentant sin, all those kind of things. Um, so we can be headed on a dark path as a believer. We're still not possessed of it. We still have full control of our capacity. We still are fully indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We're in unrepentant sin, okay? And God will allow Satan to do things to us to get us back on track, okay? So uh, those are things that happen. Now, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, okay? And as I said before, the Holy Spirit's not going to allow a demon to share space, okay? You're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan. There's no, no other ground. Um, and it's unthinkable. It's, a, it's impossible that God would allow one of his children who died from the blood of Christ to then be indwelt by a demonic spirit. Uh, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Um, and we do wage war 
spiritual war, and this is really important if you get nothing else out of this, we wage war with Satan and his demons, but not from within ourselves. Does that make sense? In other words, we are called into spiritual battle, but the battle's not inside of us. The battle's out there. Okay, We're called to put on the armor of God. It wouldn't do any good to put on the armor of God if the attack is internal. Right? The idea of the armor of God is you have fully embraced the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You're an empowered follower of Jesus Christ. You're putting on the helmet of salvation, the righteousness, all those things, because you already have them. You're clothing yourself to go out into battle. There's nothing on your back because you're never going to back up. You've already won. You're already a, a champion. You've just got some cleaning up to do. Okay. So, you know, it would make no sense to try to put the armor of God on a demonically possessed person. It just it doesn't make sense. Second Thessalonians 3 3. Mm -hmm. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from evil. That's right. And we are new creations, right? Mm -hmm. So when we surrender to Christ, we become a new, a new creation, a new spirit-filled creation. Um, uh, somebody read one First John four four. First John four four. If anybody ever tells you that a Christian can be demonically possessed, take him to this passage. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Okay, so who's in us? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Who's in the world? Satan. Okay, and so we've overcome the world of demons and I'm just hounding on it over and over. We cannot be possessed, all right? Um, now, um, some people, um, will say, well, you're not demon possessed, but, um, what can happen is dem demonization. Okay. And so what they'll say is, um, you can't be demon possessed, but you can be demonized. Um, and you're still in control, but you're losing the battle. In other words, somebody who's in unrepentant sin may not be demon-possessed, but they're demonically demonized because they're not doing what God told them to do. The truth is, it's just a fancy way of saying you don't know what you're talking about. So if somebody starts telling you about being demonized as a believer, just um, they don't know Scripture. Um, now, um, where this comes from, is the struggle that we all have, which I call the uh, Judas problem. You have somebody in church, could be a pastor, could be an elder, could be anybody. You've known them for 20 years. You prayed with them. You walked through ministry with them. You held their hand. They memorized scripture. They taught you how to follow Jesus. They, You know they tithed. You, you watched them serve in children's ministry. They, they can spout off every scripture known to man. Uh, they're just the most amazing people, and you look up to them, and then they become demon-possessed, okay? And so a lot of people go, okay, well, it's the same argument that you can lose your salvation, which I can argue against easily, but 
They, they become demon-possessed. Okay, well, the answer is you can't become demon-possessed if you have the Spirit of God in you. And since you're reborn in Christ, you never lose the Spirit of God. Uh, now, what happened to Judas when he decided he wanted to betray Jesus? Satan entered him. Satan entered him. Okay. He decided. Had, did Judas have the Holy Spirit at that point? Well, he couldn't have ever had it. No. Uh, but basically, you also have to remember that neither did any of the other disciples right. at that point. Um, True that. Now, the point here is that as soon as Judas opened the door, okay. Satan was right there. So I always tell people Satan is not going to make you go somewhere and do something. But once you put your sail up and head that direction, he's going to put wind in your sail. Okay. And one of the things you got to be you got to be careful about is, and I see this all the time. People think if things are streamlined, that it's God's will. Okay. If everything falls into place, then that must be God's will. Satan streamlines a lot of stuff. Okay. In other words, you know, you say, well, you know, I know that it was God's will because we put our house up for sale and it sold immediately. And then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And the next thing you know, I'm down here with my new secretary. And we're going off to Bermuda. <laughs> what? So the point is, is that Satan can streamline things too. In fact, if you read the story of Jonah, once Jonah decided that he was going to go away from Nineveh, Satan helped him do it. Okay, so... The point is, is that we have to be aware of that. Um, um, now, um, we can also be impacted directly or indirectly by the things of Satan. Um, you know, we all live in a fallen world, so random things can happen. Starvation, different diseases, all kinds of things can occur. Um, um, but if you see somebody who you thought was a believer and they're clearly demonically possessed, just know they weren't a believer, okay? Uh, and I can, uh, uh, I am just absolutely adamant that once saved, always saved, that you can't lose your salvation. You can stop obeying and God will basically prune you and bring you back into alignment like you would any child. Um, but just because my children disobey me doesn't mean they're not my child anymore, right? Doesn't mean I don't love them, doesn't mean they weren't born of our family, right? So I think that's important to realize. And so the first thing that Luke wants to tell the world about Jesus is, he says, let me tell you about the exorcism. I mean, when you think about it, that's pretty amazing. Uh, he starts off pretty big. He left Nazareth. He goes down to Capernaum, his new hometown. And the first thing that happens is he, um, well, not the first thing. One thing that happens is he casts out a demon from the synagogue. And, and being the Gentile writer, that kind of makes sense because I would have, I would have, I have the impression it, you could draw it from the Bible, but it would seem to be that the Gentiles would have a lot more issues with demon possessed individuals than the children of Israel, the Jewish nation, well, because God has, says they're my chosen people, so He's giving them some protection. Through the law. And one of the things that you need to, I didn't mention, I should have, is that a, the Jewish people, one of the signs of the Messiah is that the demon stuff would go away. Okay. That when the Messiah came, the demonic activities would stop. Okay. Now, uh, some people have used that 
uh, in the other side of the argument for cessationism of the spiritual gifts and of those things. But the Jewish people believe the Messiah would come and solve the demon problem. Okay, now, they had demon diseases everywhere and they recognized them. Okay, um, do we have them today? Oh, yeah. And what are they? War. I'm talking about diseases. What diseases do we see? Okay, schizophrenia is interesting. We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Um, it's interesting. If you look at certain diseases, uh, let's just take schizophrenia as one. Um, it's a very unique disease uh, because it literally uh, it puts people out of their mind. They become psychotic. Um, and the odd thing about it is they almost, one of the DSM-3 criteria, DSM, what is it, 10 now? I don't know what it is. Uh, criteria uh, is uh, they have preoccupation and perseverance perseveration on religious things. Okay, now what they don't tell you in that is it's always Jesus. I've never seen a schizophrenic keep a journal about Buddha. Um, if you read the journal, they all keep journals. If you read the journal, it's all about Jesus, Mary, the cross, blood. They believe they're the Messiah. They believe they're Jesus. They believe whatever. It's very, um, I mean, it's incredible and it can be schizophrenics from all over the world with religious backgrounds, without religious backgrounds. They tend to have spiritual writings, drawings, pictures. They personify themselves as biblical people. Um, uh, I'm Jesus, I'm Mary, um, whomever. Uh, they clearly aren't of their mind. Uh, and because our world is a science world, people will tell you, well, that can't be a demon possession. And I'm like, well, why not? Um, why can't it be? Just because we've labeled it means that we now have taken that away. Um, so I almost always pray for deliverance for every person I see who is not of their mind appropriately. Um, and it, for me, it's easy because God lets me put my hand on them and listen to their heart and lungs. And usually while I'm doing that for every patient I see, I'm praying. Um, now, does that mean since they're there and we haven't cast out the demon like Jesus did, that it's not demonic in nature? The answer is no. Um, a lot of people believe certain forms of epilepsy are demonically possessed. Um, there's epilepsy and then there's epilepsy. And, you know, some people that are literally getting their brain implants and all kinds of things done to try to stop seizures that we can't stop otherwise. Um, uh, drugs in particular are a demonic form the problem is drugs are a little harder because they have their own influence by themselves. Um, but it brings up the question, and I'm not going to answer it because I don't know that I know the answer, but I like to ask the questions. Um, can a Christian, a spirit-indwelt Christian, be schizophrenic? Okay, now, the answer is yes. Okay, because not all schizophrenia, I believe, is demonically possessed. I think there are genetic code. There's other things that happen. But the point is, is that you begin to ask those kind of questions. Okay, in other words, if I'm fully reborn, power of God, spirit of God, can I be influenced at my brain to the point where I could denounce God, where I could, it gets into that, am I possessed or not, right? Um, 
and the mental illnesses in particular wrote off God somewhere around the time of the Reformation. Um, prior to that, almost every mental illness, everything that, you, that bothered you was in some way religious and God related. After the Reformation, the new thinking came out, uh, 1600, 1715, 17. Um, then uh, it became more of a science-based, we're going to label it, and once we label it, it's not whatever you said it was before. Um, and, Even though it is. Huh? Even though it is. Even though I think... Um, yeah, I think we see demonic possession quite a bit today. Yeah, uh, I think at, at, just to not get too far off, but at the at the cafe, we'll have people come in, and and Tammy and I will talk. Someone will come in. Oh, here's Jerome. Are we going to get the good Jerome or the bad Jerome today? Yeah. Right. And 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 the the drugs and the alcohol in lower the inhibition of the person to the point where the, the the spirit that's truly controlling them comes forth. Well, and I think I think it's important to realize because I get into these debates with my psychiatry friends a lot. Um, um, just because we have a medicine that reduces the symptoms doesn't mean that we don't have another disease. In other words, if you look at most of the antipsychotic medicines, you don't become you're still psychotic. They just don't bother you anymore. Um, if, you, if you listen to like a schizophrenic or somebody that's, that's actively psychotic and they get on their medicines, they'll tell you, I still hear voices. They just don't bother me. Um, you know, I don't pay much attention to them. The medicines help them. It doesn't cure the problem. It just makes it less of a problem. And most of the meds are designed to affect behavior um, so that you're not as volatile. You're not as uh, out there or whatever. The other problem is that the co-mix of substances with psychiatric disorders is off the charts. Um, and a lot of people look at that and go, oh, well, isn't that a coincidence? I look at it and go, no, Satan's attacking from every angle he can attack from. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, uh, I believe crystal meth straight from hell. And I think the only one that overcomes is Jesus. So, um, and I think it's getting worse and worse that we're seeing more and more things. Um, because I think Satan's getting desperate and I think he's going to become more dramatic as things go forward. But it's interesting to me, um, you know, if you look up schizophrenics and you look up their journals, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the cross. It's all about crucifixion. It's all about all kinds of things. Yeah. So my brother uh, had schizophrenia mm -hmm. and he was always science. Like he we could, I couldn't even talk to him yeah. about God because he would just shut it down. He was like, no, science, science, mm -hmm. science, science. Blah, blah, blah. And he had two people living inside of him. Brenda, who was okay, but this other guy who was, he held his own on my mom. Right. And he was off the charts bad. Right. And Chad knew these two people were, you know, they'd come in and buy for control. And... <clears throat> I, he contracted ALS and I came home to take care of him and a week before I got here he was sick through mm -hmm. a mutual friend and he was not fixed he was not there was no more after that no more no more Brenda no more dude yeah. no more born again yeah, yeah. and um, it gets into a lot of I mean the scriptures are clear you're a new creation in Christ the old is gone the new is here Okay, so 
people ask me a lot, it's sort of off the topic, but I'll just talk about it for a minute anyway. Generational curses. Mm -hmm. I don't know of any because I'm born again. Um, what my great-great-grandfather did has nothing to do with me. I'm born of Christ. So I don't understand Christians who live under generational curses because you aren't of that generation. I mean, that's the only way to break them through the power of Jesus Christ. Exactly. And, and the point is, is that like, this is something that I think we don't say enough and not recognize enough. We are spiritual people having a human experience. Yeah. I mean, I talk about it all the time. <laughs> I started out my life as a human trying to figure out how to have a spiritual experience. Now I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. This is not my home. I don't live here. I don't plan to stay here forever. I've got another place to go that's much better. I'm here on a mission and a purpose. And so when you start to embrace that reality, I mean, you're a child of the living God. I mean, you, you can draw near to God and resist the devil. I mean, you know, if, if God is for us, who can be again? All those scriptures come to life because you realize who you are. Yeah. Satan's challenge is to not let you realize who you are. Okay. It's almost like, um, he wants us to feel powerless. Of course. And it's almost like, imagine that you lived your most of your life. Like this happened to me. I lived, I was 42 years old until I realized that I was a descendant of a king of an African country. Uh, and I was worth billions of dollars. Um, and there was a kingdom just wait for me to go back to, if I would just send them about $5,000 in American <laughs> money, they would make sure that I know that I'm the king's grandson or whatever it is of whatever. Right. So, I discovered late in life that I'm actually a king and I'm like rich, right? So obviously none of that's true. Uh, but um, I did do a sermon once. It's pretty funny. I did a sermon once and I, I basically said, um, I got great news for you. Our church's financial problems are over. Um, I have, I have, I received an email last week um, and Here's what, and I, and I have a picture of the King of Mugabe or whatever this place was. And he's obviously this very large black man. And, and I said, do you see the resemblance? <laughs> it turns out I'm a great grandson of this guy. And he's just looking for money. And we're going to be getting a lot of money. And we got to start putting together the committees to figure out how. The point is, is that we are actually true children of the king. Yes. And Satan does everything to keep us from knowing it. And okay. we don't have to come up with the five grand. No, we, we already got it. It's good. And and Satan's biggest fear, I don't think, is that... Uh, I think his biggest fear is if Christians wake up. If you actually start really believing what's in those words. If you really start living your, your call and your power... Um, that's the biggest fear for Satan. He's, he's been trying to convince us for years that we're powerless, uh, that we're anxious and worried and freaked out. And, I'm a child of the living God. I mean, what can you do? No, you can't do anything to us. Uh, to me, it's like Superman and crypto. I mean, we're like, you can't touch us. Um, and so I constantly want to remind myself, this is not my home. I shouldn't expect it to look like a godly place. Uh, it's a pretty pathetic, disgusting place. That's why I don't want to live here forever. I'm here on a mission to get down in the dirt and help people who need to find the way home. Um, and I know who I am, whose I am, and where I'm going. And in order to live that out, you've got to hold on to the Word of God. Okay, now here's the other thing that happens. Somebody who lives out 
the truth of the word of God teaches with authority. All of us, when we embrace who we really are, we teach and lead with authority. Much like Jesus walking into the synagogue and they're like, where did this teaching come from? He teaches as one who has authority. That's exactly what he's handed us to do. Go teach as one who has authority. You're not claiming to be God. You're claiming to work in the power of God. You know, you're claiming to know the truth and the truth will set people free and you don't have to make excuses for it. It is truth. You know, whether you like it or not, whether you know it today or not, one day you will know. Um, and our job is to present the truth uh, in an undiluted, loving way. Problem is a lot of Christians deliver it in a very judgmental, attacking kind of way. But the truth it is... It's so easy to reject. Of course. Um, it's almost impossible to reject the relationship part of Jesus because he's so loving and caring. Um, so the point that I wanted to make tonight was demonic things are real. Um, we're in a world full of demonic stuff. We are not demonic. We are not influenced, empowered, whatever. And Satan really, uh, a lot of people act like, well, you know, you need to, you need to be prayed up or Satan's going to get you. Okay. Well, maybe, um, but he's already defeated and I got Jesus standing next to me and I got the Holy Spirit in me. So I'm not going to give him that weight in my life. I, I spend zero time thinking about what Satan could do because I'm a child of God. Um, it means nothing to me. Um, and he has as much power as we give him. Um, now that doesn't mean we can act like he doesn't exist or we, we downplay him or we call him out. I don't recommend that at all. Uh, because here's the other thing that's important to know. You'll hear people say that, Oh, I have, I have the gift of deliverance or I run a deliverance ministry or whatever. You just need to come to me and I'll cast the demon out. That's just the opposite of I have a healing gift or whatever. Come to me. It's like, no, we're going to Jesus. He'll do it. Um, but the point is, is that many people give authority and power to um, Satan that he doesn't deserve or, or should get. Um, and as believers, um, we'll give him the due of you're defeated, you're going down, not because of me or anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. You were defeated long before I was born. You'll be defeated long after I'm not on this earth anymore. Uh, I know where I'm going. You know where you're going. And uh, I'm okay waiting until God decides that. Um, so I think it's important that we recognize that Satan's out there, that he's influencing people, that he's influencing our world. We need to be prayed up, um, you know, and uh, our job, the only action on our part is to draw near to the Lord and resist the devil. Okay. How do you resist the devil? The Lord of God. The word of God. Okay, your words have no power. Okay, we just studied what Jesus did in the wilderness. Every time he spoke, Satan shut up. Okay, um, so it is written. Whatever is said, it is written. Um, and that's, I have a video out on the Frank Bible Truth channel um, that I get a fair amount of feedback on um, where I talk about how I, I don't have opinions anymore. I used to have opinions, and now I don't. Uh, in areas where God has spoken. Um, so when people ask me, what do I think about homosexuality? I don't have an opinion. When people ask me, what do I think about, um, you know, um, whatever, I don't have an opinion. 
when people ask me what I think about abortion or gay rights, or I don't have an opinion, okay? On those topics, God's word has spoken and I've surrendered to his truth, okay? My opinion doesn't matter. There's truth. Um, God's already spoken his truth. I think Christians get into a lot of trouble on social media because they start throwing out their opinions as if they have to defend God, okay? The only thing they should be doing is putting out scripture, period, because that's where the power is. So when you think about... Um, the word of God uh, and the reason it's so important that we know it and that we quote it is that even if the person you're talking to doesn't respond, the demon influence in them will. Right. And they're okay. particularly suspect of the red letters. Yeah. Yeah. Even um, Jesus used them when he was in the desert for those 40 days. That's all he said. Yeah. And so the, uh, basically in this, in this, uh, because a lot of people say, well, that's you know, it's a stupid way to live. And it probably is. Um, if you get a chance, go out to the Frank Bible and look for the video. It's in one of the shorter versions. But um, what I talk about is um, I basically when people ask me things, my God has spoken. And I've surrendered to history. So I don't need to have an opinion. You'll say, you don't have an opinion on homosexuality. No, it's a sin. God's spoken. I don't need an opinion on it. He doesn't want my opinion. He doesn't care about my opinion. And my opinion doesn't ever change the truth. So there are things God has spoken on that I don't agree with. That if I were God, I probably wouldn't. I mean, I'll give an example. Um, I don't understand some of the homosexuality issues that God has. Okay, I get it. I know what he says. I've surrendered to it. But I know some heterosexuals beat the crap out of their wives. Um, and I know some homosexuals who love each other. Okay, so, But I'm not God, right? So my opinion on any of that is irrelevant. God says it's a sin, it's a sin. Um, and I believe that all the time. People don't always understand that our job is not to align God's will with our views. Our job is to surrender to his truth, whether we agree with it or not, right? I mean, so, you know, there are things that God has spoken uh, and are true that I don't fully understand or necessarily in and of myself would have embraced, but I'm a fallen person with a fallen perspective. And God says things are true. They're true. I don't have an opinion. I gave up my opinions when I surrendered to his truth. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. If you ask me, do I want steak or, you know, whatever, of course, I, I, I can have an opinion on stuff like that. But in areas where God has spoken, Christians need to shut up and quote scripture. So, Anything else for tonight? Yes, Dad, ma'am. Dad, who knows where MC Hammer is? <laughs> you can't touch this. <laughs> okay. I'm very surprised that you brought that reference up. But that's very good. Okay, go ahead. I have a new age neighbor. I see her coming across the yard. First thing I do is get up and do my little dance across the road. I said, You can't touch this. <laughs> do you then do the da 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 da? <laughs> yeah, she's, she's better. Angel's better. She's way out there. Yeah. <laughs> Crystal's in the whole nine knock yards. Yeah. And that's the first thing I say. You can't touch this. Have a father. Yeah. And then she comes in your door. And you just love her. Yeah. Yeah, you've seen her. So yes. Y'all yeah, but know. you just love her. Yeah. I love her. I'm trying to love her into the kingdom of God. Well, and, and at some point, <laughs> what I tell people eventually is, um, like, if I, I know people who are big into like everything from crystals to pyramids to whatever, and um, I always tell them that I said, you know, there's two things we both know um, when you're alone in your heart of hearts with yourself and God, however you perceive him, 
you know it's not working. Um, and I want you to know that I never have that feeling. So when you want to know how to get that feeling, come talk to me. Um, because what you're doing isn't working. And I know it's not. You may be able to fool other people. You may be able to fool whatever. But in the quiet moments of your soul, when it's just you and God, you know if you're at peace with him or not, and you're not. Um, and I can show you how to find peace with him. And that's all I say. I don't try to, you know, you know, Jesus, you know what? It's just when that moment comes and you're tired of doing what you're doing and you need to know God's peace, I can show you how to find it. Um, so uh, anybody else who wants to pray us out? Okay. Thank you. Father, we thank you for your word, for your insight.